In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, tonight our Bible study will be from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 27, starting from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Verse 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The word crucify referring to the act of nailing him to the cross. As you know, crucifying was the most dreadful, terrible, and shameful death known. It was done to the worst criminals. For, so, for the Jews to demand this, that Jesus to be crucified, for the Jews to demand it of the Romans, shows the intensity of their hate to our Lord Jesus Christ. Then they said they divided his garments. This was considered the greatest shame. It was never done with anybody but to the most vile and worthless riches. And they did it to our Lord Jesus Christ, a punishment they did not think that the two other thieves were deserving of it. But beside his garment there was his tunic, and the Lord's tunic was seamlessly woven from one piece of cloth. That's why it would be spoiled if they divided. That's why the soldiers decided to cast lots for it. Without realizing they are fulfilling the prophecy in Psalm 22 and verse 18. Then verse 36. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It was the duty of the soldiers to remain by the cross until the execution was ended by death. That's why they were sitting there watching him. But the word sitting down triggered a thought in our mind. It is a strange picture. It is a strange th thing that they sat down for three to four hours so close 
to the greatest event in the history of the world. They watched him for three to four hours, but because of the blindness of their hearts, they never saw anything. It was a common Roman practice to post the crime for which a person was being executed and also to put his name, the name of the condemned man. Pontius Pilate himself ordered the wording of the sign. And when he said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, knowing that the chief priests don't acknowledging don't acknowledge him as their king so this was displeasure to the chief priests and the title was written in many language it was, was written in hebrew latin greek so it could be easily read by the crowds as we read in Luke chapter 23, verse 38, it was written in several languages. And the title was nailed over the head of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this was not just a coincidence. It is the economy of God. Why? Maybe the Jews would be convinced when they see this title, the King of the Jews, especially on Hosanna Sunday, they said, Hosanna, this is the King of Israel, Hosanna, son of David. Also, with all their opposition, they must acknowledge him for their King, whom they have condemned to such death, cruel death. Also, although they are belittling or listening his empire, his kingdom, and his regal power, but rather by putting the sign, they increased the kingdom of God. Because until now, the cross is the sign and the symbol of the kingdom of God. Verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. Actually, all four Gospels agree that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified between two criminals. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12, that our Lord was numbered among transgressors. So this prophecy was fulfilled by crucifying him between two criminals. And the Lord was in the middle of the two, two criminals, as if he had been the greatest malefactor of the three, the worst criminal among the three. Verse 39, and those who passed by blasphemed him, waging their heads 
and saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. We read in the Gospel of St. John chapter 2 that the Lord said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it or build it up in three days. They thought that the Lord was speaking about the temple of the Jews. But the Lord was speaking about the temple of his body. He's telling them, destroy this temple, crucify me, and I will raise it. I will build it up in three days. So the people still remember what the Lord said, destroy this temple. That's why those who passed by, the people who were going in and out of the city, and passing by the place of crucifixion, they spoke all manner of evil against him. And of course the Lord heard all this blasphemy without responding or answering with a word. And they were waging their heads in mockery of him as if they were rejoicing in his misery. As Isaiah prophesied in chapter 37 and 22, verse 22. Uh, and by the way, all these actions that were done to the Lord Jesus Christ, tormenting him, were described in detail in Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Uh, so they told him you who destroy the temple and although in their minds they were speaking about the temple of Solomon but they did not realize that in this moment the word of the Lord Jesus Christ was fulfilled when he told them destroy this temple at this moment on the cross these words were fulfilled because they were crucifying him, they were destroying the temple of his body. And now God made this insult of his enemies, proclamation of the truth, that they destroyed the temple of his body and he will rise in three days. That's why St. John, in, in, as I told you in chapter 2, verse 22, he referred to this uh, saying and he, he explained that the Lord meant the temple of his body and he rose on the third day. And they told him, if you are the son of God, if you remember who said, if you are the son of God, Satan, in the temptation on the mountain, he repeated three times to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here actually they are saying the same word. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So they are using the same word that Satan said. So who is speaking on their mouth? It is Satan. But actually his sonship was not to be declared by his coming down from the cross. But his sonship to, to God actually is 
declared and confirmed by remaining on the, the cross, accepting this, then by his resurrection on the third day. Although it was very easy, if the Lord wanted to come down from the cross, he would have come down. But if he came down, he would not save the world. So his sonship was declared by remaining on the cross, not by coming down from the cross. Verse 41. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. He saved others. Actually, they said he saved others, but he could not save himself. If the Lord saved himself from dying on the cross, he would not save others. So by choosing not to save himself and to accept the death of the cross, he saved the others. Uh, and as I told you, when Pilate put this is the king of Israel, this actually made the chief priests unhappy. They were displeased. That's why they said, if he is the king of Israel, let him come down and we'll believe in him. And by the way, they went to Pilate and tried to persuade him to remove or to change it. To say, he said, I am the king of Israel. But as we read in the Gospel of St. John, Pilate refused and he told them, what I have written, I have written. That's why they said, if he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. But they were lying. This statement, they lied in it. Why? Because they did not believe after his resurrection. They knew he, that he rose from the dead, but they did not believe. So here, their words are full of falsehood and deceit. Uh, and actually, it is surprising, in verse 43, they quoted words from Psalm 22, when they said, he trusted in God, let him deliver him. Now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. These words from Psalm 22. And as I told you, Psalm 22 is the psalm that described all the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. So although this psalm was in their mind, but because of the blindness of their hearts, they could not realize that this is the Messiah. And this Psalm 22 now being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 44. Even the robbers, the true criminals, who were crucified with him 
revived him with the same thing. So, both of them actually started by reviling him. But later, one of them, traditionally the thief on the right side, believed in him as we read in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 23, verse 39. And the Lord actually promised him and told him, today you will be with me in the paradise. So, is there any contradiction between Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Luke when Luke said uh, that one believed in him and Matthew said both of them reviled him? No, actually there is no contradiction. Because also in the Gospel of St. Luke he said both of them at the beginning they actually they were blaspheming and reviling him. But later on, most probably after he saw the darkness, so the thief on the right hand uh, relented and repented and uh, uh, confessed the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingship. Uh, also St. Luke recorded for us that our Lord prayed for those who persecuted him and crucified him. Maybe this prayer also moved the heart of the thief on the right hand to believe in him when he saw how the Lord was forgiving those who crucified him. This prayer, Father forgive them for they did not know what they were doing, was the first statement of seven statements that the Lord spoke on the cross. That was the first one. Uh, the second one, when he said to the cross, today you will be with me in the paradise. Then he said to Saint Mary uh, about John the Beloved, this is your son, and said to John about Saint Mary, this is your mother. Also, the Lord said, uh, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, as we will read right now. And this is the first verse from Psalm 22. And the Lord said, I am thirsty uh, before his uh, death. And also he said, uh, Lord, into or Father, into your hand I commend uh, my spirit. So uh, these are actually uh, the seven words that the Lord spoke on uh, the cross. Two of these words, two of these statements are taken from uh, Psalm 22, from Psalms of David. Then we read verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Over all the land. Uh, some believe that here's the darkness, the word over all the land 
means over Jerusalem or all Judea. So it is over all the people who witnessed the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ for three years. But other people actually, they believe that this darkness was in the whole world, was in the whole world. But this darkness was supernatural. Why it was supernatural? Because usually the Passover, the time of crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, was celebrated at the full moon. And in this time, it is impossible for the sun to be eclipsed. When the moon is full, it's impossible to the sun for the sun to be eclipsed. So this means this darkness is supernatural. It is miraculous uh, darkness. And this miraculous darkness uh, should have caused the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ to understand that he is the light of the world. And because they did not walk in the light, they did not believe in the light of the world, that's why this light was taken away from them and there is darkness. And the darkness was from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Nine, sixth hour is 12 noon. Ninth hour is 3 p.m. The ninth hour was the time in which they slay and offer the daily sacrifice. So that is the sacrifice of the evening, which is a symbol and a type for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 46 and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eli, Eli, Lama Shabaktani that is my God, my God why have you forsaken me these words as I told you quoted from Psalm 22 verse 1 uh, so this was the fourth statement of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, and these words were recorded by the first two Gospels. Eli, Eli, Lama Shabaktan. St. Matthew wrote it in the Hebrew in order to draw the attention of the Jewish audience because St. Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. That's why he wrote it in Hebrew to get the attention of the Jews to the Hebrew scripture of Psalm 22 verse 1. But St. Mark, when he wrote it, he wrote it in the Aramaic uh, language that the Lord spoke and the Lord uttered on the cross because the Lord was speaking Aramaic. So St. Mark recorded to us in the Aramaic language, but St. Matthew uh, mentioned in the Hebrew language. Why the Lord uh, quoted from Psalm 22? 
These words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should not interpret it as despair, as the Lord was desperate, or hopelessness. No. But actually, if you read Psalm 22, as I told you, although David, in the beginning of the psalm, he cried out of distress, but the end of the psalm, there is shout for joy and confidence that God heard his prayer, and God will rescue him from his enemies. And many, many generations to come will declare and tell about his deliverance. So, the Lord here quotes the words from Psalm 22 to direct our thoughts to the prophets and prophecies that mentioned in Psalm 22 in detail about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. As if he is telling them what's written in Psalm 22, now you can see it being fulfilled in me. But we cannot imagine that the Son of Man, for one moment, he felt abandonment from the Father. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Or we cannot interpret it that the divinity parted or departed from the Lord Jesus Christ. As we say in the Divine Liturgy, his divinity parted not from his humanity for a single moment or a twinkling uh, of an eye. Because if the divinity departed from the humanity, then this sacrifice is not infinite, cannot redeem the whole people, everybody in all generation. And this means the sin of the world remained without atonement. So, how can we understand these words? This word can express that the Lord trades the wine press alone. Mean he tasted the bitterness of death to its extreme. He tasted death in all its bitterness on behalf of every single man, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, yes, the father was with the son, but he let the son drink the cup of bitterness and suffering to the end. Because, as St. Paul said, the Lord on the cross, he became sin. Also, he became curse in order to remove our sin and to remove our curse. So, he was left to struggle to the fullest without any uh, alleviation of this pain or bitterness. So, these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, were uttered with complete confidence and whole assurance 
in the presence and assistance of God the Father. Uh, that's why when the Lord actually uh, died on the cross, he said, Father, in your hand I commend my spirit. So if the Father was not with the Son, how he commend his spirit in the hand of the Father? When the crowd heard him saying, Eloi, Eloi, as we read in verse 47, some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. The crowd mistook the word Eloi, which means my God, for the name of the prophet Elijah. You know, during the Old Testament, the people were expected Elijah to appear at any moment to prepare the, the road for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Messiah. So they were actually waiting for Elijah. That's why when they heard the Lord saying, Eloi, Eloi, they thought he is calling on Elijah. After that, actually, the Lord said, I am thirsty. Verse 48, immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Uh, the Gospel of St. Mark, Matthew, and John recorded that the final drink was sour wine. Only the Gospel of St. Luke recorded that the Lord said, I thirst, or I am thirsty. The sour wine was used by the soldiers, not mixed with myrrh, uh, in order to alleviate the suffering. They used to do it like an act of mercy to alleviate suffering from the crucified person. Before they were nailing the Lord Jesus Christ, they gave him uh, wine mixed with myrrh. And this actually to increase his suffering. But when the Lord actually, he refused to drink it. But this time, they give him uh, sour wine, not mixed with myrrh, when he said, I'm thirsty. But people with hardened heart, they said, let him alone. As if they are saying, don't give him something to elevate his pain. Don't assist him. Don't give this drink to him. Let us see whether Elijah will come down to save him or not. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
before this he said to word it is finished and father into your hand I commend my soul so these are the seven words he prayed for those who crucified him father forgive them for they don't know what they were doing then he said to the thief uh, today you will be with me in the paradise then he said to John uh, about St. Mary this is your mother and about uh, he said to St. Mary about John this is your son then actually he uh, said uh, I, I am I'm thirsty uh, then he said I'm thirsty then it is finished and the last word father into your hand I commit my spirit or my soul uh, it is finished we read it in verse 1930 cried out with a loud voice can you think a person after night of trial he did not sleep one minute after scourging after being uh, all this suffering nailed on the cross can, can you believe he can cry with a loud voice actually medically and physically it is impossible after all this suffering he can cry with a loud voice but he cried with a loud voice to say that I will give up my soul I will die by my own will as he said to Pontius Pilate I have the power to lay down my life and I have power to take it up again so this shout at this very hour during the time of the evening sacrifice demonstrated that by his own will he gave up his spirit that's why when we say the Lord died the accurate term and you hear it in the divine liturgy we say he accepted death unto himself which means if he did not allow death to come to him he wouldn't die because he is the immortal so this sacrifice you know when he gave when he died when he gave his spirit it was not a defeat but a victory because it is self-sacrificial death it is done by his own will and authority alone so we cannot say that he was hung on the cross till he died because of pain and agony we cannot say that they broke his bone like what they did with the other two criminals in order to put him uh, to death quickly but he himself by his own will and by his authority he dismissed the soul so it is not a forced sacrifice but it is a free will offering for sin so and, and we say he, he died by his own will and by his authority alone and as 
he gave the spirit by his own will on the third day. He took it again when he rose from the dead. Verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The temple was actually surrounded by outside court. And there was a veil at the entrance from the outside court to the temple. And another veil separates the holy place from the holy of the holies. So actually, there were two veils. One veil at the entrance separates the outside court from the temple, and another veil separates the holy of the holies from the holy. The holy is the outside part of the temple, uh, and this part only the priests can enter every day to do their daily sacrifice. In the outer court, it's called the court of Israel, of the Israelites, where the Israelites can stand. But the holy of the holies, only the high priest can enter once a year, and only the high priest. Because the holy of the holies, where God used to appear on the Ark of Covenant, on the mercy seat, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And this was considered the sacred place in which the heavenly and earthly sanctuaries were linked. The heavenly sanctuary and the earthly sanctuary were linked together. This inner veil was made of the richest and strongest tapestry. But it was torn from top to bottom. Means what? To signify that the middle wall that was separating us from God, the enmity was removed. Now we are reconciled with God. There is no veil to separate us from God. And also means all the ceremonies of the ancient law will be abolished by the law of Christ. And now all of us, we have access to the throne of grace, as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, through one atonement, one sacrifice, one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we read that the earthquake, this was not an ordinary earthquake, but a supernatural phenomenon at the darkness. And uh, the rocks were split, verse 52, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city 
and appeared to many. Some of the tombs were shattered and laid open by the earthquake. Only the Gospel of St. Matthew recorded for us appearance of the scenes in association with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that the stones were broken apart and the graves were opened, this signifies what? That death was abolished, as we chant in the hymn of resurrection. He abolished the death by his own death. So now death is abolished. And this event is the first expression of faith in liberation of the dead by our Lord Jesus Christ when he descended to Hades. So the Lord descended to Hades. He released those who were taken captive by Satan from their captivity. So they rose on the day of resurrection, entered Jerusalem, appeared to many. So they were liberated. Who were liberated? Those who lived their life believing in the hope of Israel, believing in the Messiah, as St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 11, although they did not see the promises, but they believed in them afar off. And their rising was a testimony that the death of our Lord Jesus Christ is life to us. We live through his death and his Resurrection. When the centurion and the soldiers saw all of this, what was the reaction? Verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of of God. Most of them were Gentiles. All of them actually were Roman, Gentile. Fear greatly means they were convinced of presence of divine hand here. These things are not natural, supernatural. And these words, this word, the Son of God, this was the first proclamation from Gentiles that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe they did not completely understood what they were saying when they said this was the Son of God. But this declaration was carried on to the Gentiles later on and now the Gentiles, us, we believe in the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 55 And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's son. So here we have devoted women who were still faithful, courageous, and loving, who went with the Lord Jesus Christ 
to Calvary. They followed the procession to Calvary. And at a distance, they watched all the proceeding that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, all his disciples have fled and disappeared, except John. John, the beloved, was the only one from the disciples who was at the cross. Many women, why they were mentioned? As eyewitnesses of all these events. While the apostles, they were not there, but these women were eyewitnesses of these events. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, that's the first time to be mentioned in the Gospel of St. Matthew. But St. Luke mentioned her in his Gospel, chapter 8, verse 2, that she was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ from demons. This was before the resurrection. The second one, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. She was the wife of Clopas or Alphaeus, as we read in John chapter 19, 25. And in the tradition, she was the sister of Saint Mary. After Joachim and Hannah presented Saint Mary to the temple, God gave them another daughter. So they named her also Mary. So, James and Joseph are cousins of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were called also his brothers. When we read Brothers of Jesus, these are the children of Mary, the sister of Saint Mary. Then the third woman, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and her name actually is uh, Saluma, Salome. Uh, St. John uh, did not mention uh, Salome, did not mention Salome in the list uh, in John chapter 19, verse 25. Uh, and of course, with them was St. Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, was at the cross. Verse 57. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. The Roman laws forbid burial to be given to criminals without permission from the judge. That's why Joseph went to get a permission to bury the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 
some mark included information about Joseph that he was member of Sanhedrin and that the day Jesus died was Friday, the preparation day for the great Sabbath. He was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, but in secret, as we read in John chapter 19, verse 38, because he was afraid of the Jews. So he was a disciple, but because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he was in secret because he was afraid of the Jews. Now, he acted in more honorable way than all the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because he went and asked for the body of Jesus to bury him. He was from Arimathea, Arimathea is Rama, in the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, but he lived in Jerusalem because he was a member in the Sanhedrin. Uh, as you know, the Jewish day and in our church, the liturgical day, it starts from evening. So with the sunset, the Sabbath started. So it became the Sabbath at sunset. Therefore, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was removed from the cross prior to the sunset in accordance to the law. Because once the sun set, they cannot do anything on Sabbath. That's why they took his body down on the 11th hour of Good Friday. On the 11th hour. Uh, verse 60. And laid it, laid the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Placing the body of the Lord in this rich man's tomb was a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. Pontius Pilate consented to give uh, the body to uh, Joseph, probably anxious for respect for the body because he tried several times to save Jesus from death and he believed that he was innocent. That's why he washed his hand. Uh, St. John Chrysostom, in his homily, he said, Behold with admiration the courage and constancy of this disciple of Christ, Joseph, who through love for his crucified Savior willingly exposed himself not only to the enmity of his countrymen because the Jews could be against Joseph, but even to the danger of death when he confronted Pilate and dared in the presence of all to pick the body of Jesus and to give it uh, public uh, interment. From the Gospel, 
of St. John, we learn that mixture of myrrh and other spices of 100 pounds weight had been applied to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was uh, buried. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ must have had the same burial place with those of the two robbers. And he was numbered with the transgressors and suffered with them. He was a sacrifice bearing the sin of the world in his own body on the cross. But now the sacrifice is offered. The atonement was made and accepted. So he is no longer to be enrolled with the transgressors. That's why he was not buried with them. Because now the atonement was fulfilled. Had our Lord been buried in the common burial ground with the criminals, his resurrection wouldn't have been distinctly remarked. But being buried alone in empty tomb, so nobody in this tomb except him. So when they found the tomb empty, this means he is the one who rose from the dead. Uh, verse 61 and Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb on the next day which followed the day of preparation Sabbath the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying Sir we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Uh, the chief priest would never have thought of sealing the stone there or setting a watch. But now, if, if the Lord was buried in the common burial ground, they wouldn't think about it. But now that the body is got into the hand of a friend, Joseph, they judge it necessary to make use of this precaution in order, as they said to Pontius Pilate, to prevent the deception. And from this very circumstance, the resurrection of Christ had its fullest evidence. Because now we have guards who watched the resurrection. And we, we have the stone, although was sealed, but the Lord came out of the tomb while the stone was there. And here actually, uh, was beyond the power of any contradiction his the evidence of his resurrection nobody can contradict his resurrection uh, as we, we read Mary Magdalene and the other many uh, these holy women came to the grave to see the end 
and they were overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish, sat, sat down there to mourn. But on the next day, which is the Sabbath, uh, could be actually in a, when they say the next day could be Friday night because as I told you the Jewish day starts from the evening so when they went to Pontius Pilate they did not stay until the morning of Sabbath so the next day did not mean they waited until the next day but the evening of Friday uh, because as I told you the end of the Jewish day was sunset uh, and the first day of the Feast of Passover was called the Day of Preparation. So the first day was called Preparation, that's the Sabbath, because all things were on that day got in readiness for the observance of the Paschal week, the one week uh, of Pascha. They said about the Lord Jesus Christ, that deceiver, it's one of the charges against him was he deceived the people as we read in John also in also in John chapter 7 verse 12 the chief priests and Pharisees had not forgotten the prediction of Christ that he would rise on the third day uh, even if his own disciples uh, had forgot this so the disciple maybe forgot this, but the chief priest and the uh, Pharisees did not forget, forget this. Then Pontius Pilate, verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. The presence of the guards and the officially sealed tomb which Jesus' disciple would have observed only served as more proof that Jesus' resurrection was a supernatural event. Because how the disciple would go, although they know there was a seal and uh, guards there. They asked Pontius Pilate, command that the tomb be made secure by Roman guard. And they asked him until the third day, after which, if he still lay in the grave, then his claim that he will rise would be false. That's why they told him, command to guard the tomb until the third day. Uh, lest the disciples steal his body and say to the people has risen from the dead and the question did they really fear this or maybe in their hearts they knew that this could be the messiah and he would rise from the dead and to justify their request they said to Pilate lest the last deception will be worse than the first Less deception is taking him from the tomb and deceiving the people that he rose, pretending that he rose. 
will be a wider influence among the people than the first. First, what was the first deception when he pretended to be the Messiah? So the first deception in their mind when he pretended to be the Messiah, second one, to pretend to uh, rise from the dead, to be risen from the dead. And they said to Pilate, make it as secure, supposed to be in the company of Roman soldiers, and may take a guard distant for uh, the guard of the temple. So they did sealing the, the stone, and they placed guards uh, at the monument. Uh, and a cord was stretched across the stone door and sealed at each end with wax. So they put a cord and sealed the cord at each end with wax. The seal would have been broken to remove the stone. You cannot remove the stone, otherwise the seal would be broken. So uh, by having the stone and this seal and the guard, God actually allowed this to happen to make the resurrection of Christ more certain and evident. The tomb was guarded, so there was an impossibility of any deceit on the part of the disciples. Now, if the least deceit was utterly impossible because of the seal and the guard, then indeed Christ, our Lord, rose from the dead truthfully. And to remove uh, any doubt about his resurrection. The high priest made the tomb very secure. They sealed the stone at the entrance with public seal, proof against all fraud, uh, either of the corrupt guards or of his followers. This concludes uh, chapter 27 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.